Good morning, family. All right, so we've been on a series um, on the spiritual gifts, and so I'm actually going to continue that. Um, and I actually have, I don't have notes for you, as per usual, but I do have a title for you, which is not usual. I usually don't know until I'm done, but I know ahead of time, this time. So it's called Spiritual Gifts, colon, The Blessing of Eden. So you can write that down on your blank piece of paper that you don't have no, any, any other notes on. All right, so um, I was reading recently one biblical scholar, and he was talking um, about um, two specific kinds of theology. And he's like, there's systematic theology and there's biblical theology. And that's not to say that systematic theology is not biblically based. It's, it's just two names of two different things, of two different ways of looking at theology. And so he said, uh, systematic theology is if you had a whole bunch of Legos and you separated out all the red ones, all the blue ones, all the yellow ones by color and then looked at all of them. And in that looking, you're like, all right, so these ones, these are what all the yellow ones look like. This is how they, like, we've got this many squares on these ones, smaller squares here. And you look at all the red ones and kind of determine this is <coughs> what everything, this is what all the yellows, this is what all the reds, this is what all the blues look like. Biblical theology, on the other hand, it does it a little different. Um, systematic theology is fantastic. Biblical theology is fantastic. It's really great when you put the two together. So biblical theology, on the other hand, takes those same Lego, Lego bricks and looks at how the Bible laid them out. So if there was a pattern of red, red, blue, green, or other green bricks? I don't think there's green bricks. Are there green bricks? Okay. Uh, red, red, blue, green, red. Um, and then later on, there's a red, red, blue, green, blue. It's like, wait a minute, that pattern was super close. Why did it change? Why did it not have another red one at the end? Why did it have an, a, a green one or whatever I said a second ago? Um, blue, yeah. Um, I'm not even listening to myself right now. Um, but like it, it'll look at the patterns and see that, that there's a difference and go, why is there a difference? What changed? Does that make sense what I'm saying? And so at the same time, biblical theology also goes, all right, so this is what the pattern looks like. This is what it changed to. Let's look at it from above and see like, is there a depth here? So is there, is there, was there just two squares? But when I look at it this way, but when I look at it from above, it's actually six deep. Does that make sense too? Okay. So I'm going to take uh, a little bit more of a, a biblical, like I'm, I'm attached the systematic to it, but I'm going to take a biblical approach, biblical theology approach um, to the spiritual gifts here. Um, another way I think of looking at this would be to, um, if you had a puzzle and you were going to put a puzzle together, say like a 500 piece puzzle, um, and uh, you, you take all the pieces out, you put it on the table, and you have the box, which has the picture on the front of it. That's really going to help you, right? Like, that's going to help you know where, like, how all the pieces go together, um, how this all fits. Uh, if you don't have that, you're just going, all right, edge pieces, corner pieces, ba like, let's get all the colors together. Let's kind of separate this out so we can kind of put this whole thing together. But if you actually have the picture, you'll, you can do that same thing, but you're actually going to get there faster because you're like, all right, I kind of see where this whole thing is going, and I have this idea. So what I want to do is I want to, I want to like zoom out of the spiritual gifts and give like the full context um, for the whole of scripture um, and go, all right, let's look at it from a really big view um, and see how does um, the spiritual gifts actually fit into the entirety, into the picture of, of scripture from the beginning to the end. Does that make sense? All right. That's a lot to talk about. Um, so let's take a moment and pray because that's the only way I'm going to get through all of this. All right, Father God, I just thank you for your word, the richness 
the goodness of you to, um, to, to give us your spirit that, yes, we don't know the mind of Christ, but you have given us your spirit to know the deep things of you, that you actually reveal those things to us. You have given us your mind and that you would give us wisdom and a revelation and insight into who you are, into your heart, into your word. God, and I ask that right now that you would prepare uh, our hearts, my heart, their hearts, our ears, um, that you would be the one moving, that you would be the one that actually speaks through me, you'd be the one that's actually um, giving context for everything that I'm about to say, um, that you would, you would be the one that is, is, is tilling up the ground ahead of time, preparing um, the soil for the seed that is already your seed, that you're actually doing all the work here, God. You're, you're the one who's tilling the soil. You're the one who's preparing it. You're the one who's, who's planting all of these things, God. Um, and I just want to be your vessel um, that you use right now, God. In Jesus' name, amen. I sound like a man today because I'm sick. I don't normally sound like a man. Um, oh, where was I going to go here? Oh, one thing I want to say also, I usually like to, to try to speak um, to our hearts. Um, today I'm very much going to be, at least at the beginning, starting with our minds, um, getting us just to think about stuff. I want us to really think about um, things that are going on in the Bible and get us to understand how things actually change um, the way, li- way we live based on what the Bible is saying about things. So at first it's going to, to me, it feels very cognitive, um, and that's not necessarily my forte, that's not necessarily where I want to start in general, um, but that is where I feel like I'm supposed to start today. Um, so, just letting you guys know that. So Jesus comes on the scene, He's, he, he goes out um, into the, to the wilderness, being led by the Holy Spirit, comes back out, and he's led by the Holy Spirit, and he's like, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. So like, there's this kingdom message that's taking place. Like, the, he is going, hey, what I'm here to do is actually reestablish the kingdom of God in all of these things. We know he lives, he does all of these fantastic things. Um, he dies, he's crowned as king, um, he's high and lifted up. Um, he is then, uh, he's finished, uh, he's dead, um, he, he's buried, he's risen again, um, and he tells his disciple, I have all authority in heaven and earth. I have everything, all authority. I am the king of the entire creation, right? Like, that's what he's saying. Is like, there is nothing that I don't have. I have every single bit of authority. And with that, that has been given to me, I'm telling you, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So he's going... I have everything that could possibly be. All authority is mine. I'm sending you out to go do everything that you saw me do. You're going to do these things and greater things, right? Like we know that he says these things. In Mark, um, it says, he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to all of creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved and whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons, they will speak in new tongues, they will pick up serpents with their hands, and they will drink any deadly poison, and it will not hurt them. They will lay their their hands on the sick, and they will recover. Like, these things are absolutely amazing. That God's like, Jesus is saying, hey, I have every bit of authority. I want to send you out to go do these things that I've been doing, that I actually came into the world to do. Where does this fit in all of creation? Where does this fit in the whole context of Scripture? Doesn't this sound very familiar? Doesn't it sound like the very first page of the Bible? When God's like, hey, go have dominion 
Like, I created you male and female to have dominion, subdue the earth, be fruitful, and multiply. Jesus is going, hey, there was a mistake here at some point. You guys sinned. Like, you guys didn't do what you were supposed to be doing. I'm coming back to reestablish you as real humans, as true humans. I'm sending you back out, just like I did at the very beginning. And I'm telling you, all the authority that, like, I gave you authority from the beginning. You gave it up. You decided not to actually go with my authority. I gave you all dominion. I, I told you to go subdue the rest of creation with my grace and my peace. I told you to go out and be fruitful and multiply. And you're like, no, I can do it on my own. I'm going to make my own rules. And he's like, no, 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 no. That's not the way it goes. My kingdom will always reign. My kingdom will always rule. My kingdom is always the last kingdom that will ever stand. And he comes back. He's like, it will rule. It will reign. And it will rule and reign in, in this world and in your lives. So I want you to go back out and do the same thing that I called you to do from the beginning. You guys making sense of all that? You see how it's the exact same picture from the very beginning, first pages of the Bible, to, to Jesus doing the same thing there. So, with Genesis, um, that call um, that he says, go have dominion, uh, subdue the earth, be fruitful, and multiply, is actually again played out then a couple more times. Uh, it gets played out for Noah um, after um, the flood. God basically says the same thing that he told Adam and Eve. He's like, go, basically have dominion, subdue the earth, be fruitful, multiply. So it's like, oh, like it's the same call once again, like doing the same thing. And then to Abraham, it's again a very, very similar call of going out into the, into the world, into creation, um, having, like bringing his life. Um, and, and then God's like, hey, I want to bless you and you're, 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 nation, you're going to be like uh, the father of many nations. Your, your generations uh, after you your, um, is going to be more than the numbers of the sea, uh, the sand at the sea and the stars in the sky. Um, and he's like, I'm going to bless you so that you can go out and bless. So that's what the picture is, is we are a blessed people so that we can go out and bless, right? That's the, that's the, that's the context here. That's the, that's the thought. It's like God's like, from the very beginning, I'm going to bless you with my authority so that you can go out and bless the rest of creation. Does that make sense? Okay. So I'm going to just jump real quick into something that uh, blew my mind um, when I was up in, in Wisconsin. I was sitting under Scott, and he would say all these things. Uh, do you guys remember Scott Goodwill? He came and, and did some teachings. Um, super smart man, very uh, solid uh, biblical theologian. Um, and he would just say these things, and I'd be like, hold on, go back. And he's like, well, that's not what we're talking about. I just made a quick little comment. Um, and I'd be like, that was huge. I, I don't understand what you just said. Um, and so one of the things he said, he's like, well, the church becomes the Garden of Eden. And so anyway, and he just continued on. I was like, the, the church becomes the Garden of Eden? What? I was like, can you explain that one to me? And he's like, well, maybe another time. We're not going to get into that right now. And it was like, at the same time, like another time he was like, oh yeah, you know the, the rainbow? That's actually God's war bow. He hangs it up along with his bow. This is like his bow and arrow. He just doesn't use it anymore. And I'm like, where did you get that? And he goes, oh, you know, the Psalms, Amos, stuff like that. And I was like, I'm not getting that out of Amos. I'm not getting that out of Psalms. And like he points it out. I'm like, oh, it makes a whole lot of sense. Anyway, you guys, now you guys get to have the same questions I have. Um, uh, yeah, yes, he did eventually. Um, so anyway, the church becomes the Garden of Eden. And we realize that the church is the temple of God, right? We realize that we are living stones being built one on another, right? Um, we realize that Paul, in his writing, he calls us individual temples. He calls us corporately the temple of God. Uh, in Revelation uh, 21 and 22, 
the, the angel comes to John the visionary and he says, hey, I'm going to show you the wife, the bride of the lamb, right? That's what he actually says he's going to show. Um, we often like to read that next section and go, this is heaven. And it's like, whoa, 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 what did the, what did the angel actually say? The angel said, I'm going to show you the wife, the bride of the lamb. That's what he said he's going to show him. So whatever is shown next, I'm going to assume the angel was telling the truth and it's the wife, the bride of the lamb, not necessarily heaven. We following on that one? Like, I'm just going to believe what the angel said. So the angel then goes and he takes him up on this high place and he's like, hey, this is like, all, like he gives all of these dimensions, all this stuff that's like, oh, that's temple imagery. Oh, that's a city. Oh, that's the bride. And then at the end of it, it has all of this garden imagery. And it's like, there's this, there's this river, there's this, this tree of life that's on both sides of the, of the river. Um, and it's like, suddenly, all of these pieces that we see played out through the Bible um, all get conglomerated into one place in Revelation 21 and 22, where it's like, the church is the bride. The church is the temple. The church is the city of God. The, church, the, the, the city of God that, that Abraham, from the very beginning, is like, I'm looking for a city whose foundation and builder is God. That's what he was looking for, and like, that's what his descendants become in that picture, is like, we become the city of God. We become the garden from Eden. And, and we get that with the temple. We're, we're like, I think that one's, we're pretty much set in that one. We pretty much understand that one. That wouldn't um, like make us question anything. Um, but then when, when I say that garden one, it's like, oh, I'm, I don't know, maybe you guys, you guys maybe I'm the last uh, mouse of the cookie jar, I don't know. Um, but uh, to me, that one, that one threw me. I was not expecting when, when Scott's like, the church becomes the garden. And I was like, well, how do you, like, where else do you get that besides just that scripture? And he's like, well, um, our, you're a tree planted by streams of living water. Um, you're the, the oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord. Uh, you bear the fruit of the Spirit. Um, you know, just as you uh, walk by and walk with the Spirit, that's the same thing as in the garden, God walking with them in the garden. It's all of these different things that are like, oh, okay, that makes a lot more sense. Like, I start to get that then. And it's like, wait, I'm not not done yet. Let me, let me do a couple more here. Um, it's like the temple. What was the temple? Uh, when you walked into the temple, it has all these engravings of trees, of flowers, of fruit, um, all of these different garden imagery. So the, like the temple itself was a picture of the garden. And so it's like, oh, okay. I feel really comfortable with that now that the church becomes the garden. And that actually has some context to the rest of what I, how I live is we are the temple. We are the city of God. We are the garden of Eden and we are the bride of Christ. All right. I'm not going to touch on all of those things. I just touched on them. I'm not going to go in depth on all of those things. Um, but those are all things that I think are really important um, for us to get a grasp on who we are um, in the body of Christ. So, with uh, the concept that the church is the garden, we should go back to Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 and get a picture of what does that mean um, for us because we're talking about spiritual gifts, right? Um, so in Genesis 1, God says, made man and uh, woman in my image. I'm going to go uh, have dominion, be fruitful, multiply, go into the earth. Genesis 2, it's like God plants a garden in the east of Eden, and he places a man there to work it and to keep it. And the concept here is God's like, hey, I've got this grand plan. I want you to take my kingdom to the outer reaches of creation. I want you to subdue all of the earth with my grace and my peace. I want you to be fruitful and multiply into every area of this world. But for you to be able to do that, let me give you a little playground. This playground is called the garden. 
I'm going to put you here. I want you to work it, and I want you to keep it. I want you to learn how I do things. So I've actually organized this whole garden. It's absolutely beautiful. I've placed things over here. I've done things here. I've put a stream through here. I've got rocks over here. I've got all of these different things. And he's like, this is how you learn my heart. This is how you learn my will. This is how you learn about who I am so that you know what to do when you go out into the world. Does that make sense? So as they learn how to work and keep the ground, they're actually learning obedience. They're learning submission. They're learning how to yield to the will of God. So, so as um, I'm, I'm picturing one day, you know, they're, they're doing different things. They're working the ground, and, and the sun, it's a different season than it was when they f- were first there, and the sun's setting, and all of a sudden, Adam's like, oh my gosh, that is so beautiful. Like the, the, the color of the foliage and the, just the angle of the sun, just the way it comes through, it just like illuminates it in such a different way than it did in the springtime. And, and, the, and just like the angle that those other trees were and, and because of this backdrop and all of these different things. And God's like, yeah, like I completely organized it. I made it perfect. I want you to be able to see the things that I see. And I want you to be able to see those things and go do those things. So you actually learn the way that I function, the way that I brought um, order out of chaos. I want you to see how I ordered it. I want you to see how I made things. I want you to see how I rearranged things. I want you to understand how to do these things. And that as we walk together in the garden, you're learning from me. You're learning through what I have to do. You're learning what I've already done for you so that you know how to walk out into the rest of the world. So that, so that as the, God's vision is that, that the garden is the template for the rest of creation. He wants the glory of God to cover the earth like the waters cover the sea. And so he's like, I want you to expand the borders of the garden out. I want you to take my will, my rule, my kingdom, my reign, my heart into the rest of the world. But to do that, you have to understand how I functioned in the garden, how I made this. And you are going to take my rule and you're going to go out to the rest of creation. That's a lot of big stuff. Are you guys tracking with everything that I'm saying? Yeah? Okay. All right. So then we realize if the church is the garden... And that's the concept from the beginning, that that is how, the, how God intended that the garden would continue to expand with his will, with his rule, with his reign, through his, his people expanding the garden, that that is also the picture of the church here and now. That that's what we actually see when, uh, when Jesus says, um, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, right? Judea. Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You're actually going to start here. You're going to start small. You're going to start right in the beginning. You're going to start here. You're going to learn how to do some stuff. And then you watch the book of Acts. It's the setup that way. It's they're going to learn how to function together. You have the early church, um, and it's like none of, nobody had need because they all cared so much for each other. Like, I'm just going to sell my stuff so you can have this. All my things, your things too. Like, they learned how to work and function through the heart of God so that they could actually do all these things. And the Holy Spirit is just pouring out on them because like, yes, this is what the garden looks like. This is what it looks like to be the kingdom of God so that then you can go out from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and to the outer parts of the earth. So if that's the case, then this is here in the church, in the small C church, in here, this little body. Um, This is a safe place. This is a place where we actually learn how to function in the gifts of the Spirit. This is a place that we learn, this is uh, where we learn how to actually use the gifts so that we can actually go out and we can extend the borders of the garden. 
We can expand his heart into the rest of creation. That's why we're lights to the rest of the world, right? Like that's why we are a, a kingdom of priests so that we actually come to God on behalf of the people and to the people on behalf of God. Um, we actually work together and like there's this, there's this element that we see in the early church of, of that caring so much for one another um, that they're, like, they know the heart of God. They know this is how he functions and this is how he does things and this is how he actually moves and lives and has his being in every single way. And they actually lived his heart out. So all the things that you see Paul writing, like, hey, love one another, don't speak bad of one another, don't do these things, you know that you've been brought into a new life, live in the new life. Like, that's what they're actually living into in Acts. And it's like, we wonder, how did, they, like, how did so many people get converted? Because they're actually living into the reality that Christ is, act, like, they're living into his life. And I'll, you know, I'll ask the question, I'll be like, you know, why do we not see more spiritual gifts? Like, why, do we, like, why is it not more prevalent? And I think it's because, the thing, like, what actually makes it happen, obviously, is God. But from our point, like, what, do, what does it take on our side? It's really boring stuff. It's called obedience. It's called submission. Um, it's called yielding. And it's called humility. It's the stuff that, like, we don't really, like, mm, it's not, not the, like, we just want the gifts. We just want to go out and do some stuff. We just, but we have to learn obedience. And he's like, from the beginning, I wanted to teach you obedience. And what did you do? Immediately disobeyed. From the get-go. And he's like, no, I'm trying to teach you obedience so that you actually learn how to rule. So you actually learn how to execute my rule into the rest of creation. If you don't learn obedience, if you don't learn submission, if you don't learn how to yield, if you don't learn humility, you're not maturing into someone who actually can move in the gifts of the Spirit regularly. You might move in the gifts of the Spirit, but if you're not actually uh, learning those super low level, super boring things that none of us really like to spend a lot of time doing. Uh, we're not going to be a church. We're not going to be a people. We're not going to be an individual who actually functions regularly in the gifts of the Spirit. And that's what I want to see is, is, is that we actually become individuals. We become a small body. We become the corporate body. We become the church globally that actually realizes that that picture from Revelation 21 and 22 isn't necessarily just this long-off distance future picture. It's actually what the bride is becoming currently. That, like, that grandness is what we're actually living into right now. Let's go to um, Isaiah 61. Isaiah 61 says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of prison to those who are bound. And this is, you know, we see Jesus actually quote this and go, hey, this is fulfilled in your hearing, right? In uh, Luke. But in that same thing, what he's what is true of him in that context is true of us. Like, he, we are his body. And so when it says the spirit of the, of the Lord God is upon me, it was upon Christ for sure. Like, that is 
We know that, but we are his body. So that spirit is on us. So, so whatever is true of him in this is actually true of us individually and corporately together as a body. So the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion. So like this is suddenly uh, something that's actually being spoken to those who are actually already his people to those who are in Zion, his people. So like, just like I was talking about, that we learn how to do something small so that we can learn how to do it bigger and bigger and bigger. It's the same thing that is going on in the book of Isaiah here. I grant, I grant to those who mourn in Zion to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, an oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. So if we want to know what we're supposed to be doing here, uh, we grant to those who mourn in Zion to give to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. Like that's, we're actually encouraging one another. We're actually um, diving into the lives of another person to actually, maybe we need to prune something. Maybe we actually need to weed something. Maybe that's what I need to do in my life is prune some stuff or weed some stuff. Maybe that's what it looks like together corporately um, that there is this um, investing as we would in a garden with one another. So that, that's what it's saying here is that um, those who mourn in the body of Christ, like, no more. Let me put, give you a headdress, of, like uh, uh, a headdress instead of ashes, uh, uh, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. This is the idea that we have, that we are actually working together, that we are actually seeing each other as fruitful trees planted by streams of living water, um, and we actually care for one another so that we can actually be bearing the proper fruit in each and every season. Are you guys tracking with all this stuff? This is a lot of different stuff that... Um, it took me a long time to like really wrap my head around what's all going on with it, um, does anybody want to pause for a second and ask a question about anything? Does everybody feel comfortable? Okay. Just want to make sure. Um, I actually want to go to, where do we go? Let's go to Deuteronomy 7. So this is, uh, there's, there's three passages. I'm just going to give them to you so you guys can write them down real quick. Uh, Deuteronomy 7, 12 through 15. Deuteronomy 28, 1 through 14. Leviticus 26, 3 through 13. And these are all fantastic scriptures. This is before the cross, obviously, um, but the things that are said in them are like, this should be stuff that's said after the cross. This, like, this, is, this is new creation kind of things. These are things that it seems impossible that these things are being said in the Old Testament, but I find it interesting that each one of them is, if you obey my commands, if you do what I say, if you abide by my statutes, if you abide by my laws, if you do the things that I say, which is 
going right back to the garden, I've given you these commands, I've taught you these things to do, listen and obey, and the, and the blessing of Eden will actually come out. So let's uh, start with uh, Deuteronomy 7, uh, 12. And because you listen to these rules and keep them and do them, because you'd listened, because you are doing these things, the Lord your God will keep you, will keep with you a covenant and the steadfast love that he swore to your fathers. He will love you. He will bless you and multiply you, right? I mean, that's like, that's the same thing, like multiply you into the rest of creation. He will also bless the fruit of your womb and the fruit of the ground, your grain and your wine and your oil, the increase of your herds and the young of your flock in the land that he swore to your fathers to give to you. You shall be, a blessed, you shall be blessed above all people, just like Abraham. There shall not be a male or female barren among you or among your livestock. And the Lord will take away from you all sickness. None of the evil diseases of Egypt, which you knew, will inflict you, but you will lay them but he will lay them on all who hate you. So, wait a second. Did he just say he's going to take all sickness away from them? Was this before the cross? That one blows my mind. I'm after the cross. Christ has already inaugurated new creation stuff going on here. We're not even living into the stuff from the Old Testament. There's something that we're not getting. There's something of learning obedience. There's something, like, that's what it's all about, is going, hey, do you know why? Is because you obey my word, because you actually yield to my will. You actually say what your will is, that's what I'll do, not my will. Let your will, not my will be done. And that is what walking by the Spirit looks like, is going, yes, God, I will do these things. And I think sometimes we don't realize um, how often the Spirit is talking to us, and we'll just chalk it up to just me saying something or something that I ate or whatever. Um, But I'm finding... um, that if we actually take the time and actually our default is that the Spirit is talking to us, I bet we're going to find more often than not it is the Spirit that's talking to us as opposed to the default being, that's just me or something that I ate. If we actually take that and go, all right, if the default is that the Spirit is talking to me and then the response is, yes, Lord, I I listen and I obey, I will do these things. I expect that the things that we see from Deuteronomy 7, from Deuteronomy 28, from Leviticus 26 or whatever it was that I said, uh, 26, um, that those things, as you obey, as you follow his will, as you know his heart, as you just yield and submit to him, the gifts of the Spirit will naturally flow out from our lives. That the way that we actually saw Jesus, he would go and he would touch the people that were unclean, right? So in, in that culture, if I touch somebody who was unclean, what happened? I became unclean. When Jesus touched them, what happened? They became clean. That's incredible. Like, try not to smile on that one. That's amazing. Like, like in that culture, unclean, I touch, I'm unclean. Jesus, unclean, he touches, clean. Double clean. How did that happen? Like, it was double unclean was what it should have been, but instead it's double clean. I don't understand how that works but he has a different life. And the spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in us. And that spirit is what actually makes us actually live and move and have our being so that we can actually go out and we can actually do those things. But it starts here. Let's learn obedience. Let's learn submission. Let's learn how to yield in this place. Let's learn, like every time that the the gifts of the spirit are talked about, love is either right before it or right after it. 
that you would love one another. That, like, that's how we actually know that we obey his commands is that we actually love him. Like we love him and that's what we're obeying his commands. That's what it says in First John. But every single time that the gifts of the Spirit are talked about, love is right before it or right after it. And so I want to challenge us that when we come here, this is no longer just a gathering um, of believers um, who, who come just to meet and to, and to hear a sermon um, or to, to worship um, or to um, just gather because this is tradition, this is what we do. But there's actually something that takes place that's different um, than when we are apart. That um, just like one day in the future, the whole bride of Christ will be united together. That this is actually a picture, of, it's a foreshadow. It's just like Isaac was a, was a, was a, um, a Christ figure, you know what I'm talking about? In the Old Testament, there's all of these types and shadows. Um, just like that, that's what we are here. When we gather together, this is a type of the future of when the full congregation of the bride actually gathers together. So when we gather together, we're actually, actually prophetically speaking into what is to come. Does that make sense? Do you actually realize that like, this is actually bigger than just us gathering together? It's actually a picture of the future creation. There's something um, about us actually gathering together and actually being in the same stride, um, that we actually strive together. I'm having the same heart and the same mind, just like I think Paul says in Philippians 1. Um, there's, a, there's something about us growing together um, that each of us grows individually, but as we come together and as we actually share our hearts with one another, there's something that we actually grow together corporately that is different than us just individually going, hey, I'm learning these things on my own. Or, but there's actually something of sharing life together that actually paints this picture so that whenever, um, whenever uh, you, you get to see all these um, things in um, the different prophets and they're talking about how the nations will just be like looking on and seeing like this beautiful city, this bright and uh, shining city, um, that they will just be like, there is something so magnificent, so different about that. And how is that going to happen if we're all just doing our own thing? No, it's when we all come in stride with one another, that our hearts are united together, that we are knit together, that it's the, by the work of the Spirit, that there's a unity that takes place, that we all actually love one another and care for one another as if we would care for a garden, as if we would care that, that the life in that garden would actually live. That we would actually go, that one looks a little injured. Let me see if I can help do something with it. That one looks like it got like knocked over by a storm. Maybe I can help tie it up. Maybe, maybe actually sometimes what you have to do is you actually, when something gets knocked over, you actually tie it to another tree to help give it support until it actually has enough support to do its own thing. Sometimes I think that's what we need in the church is certain ones of us to see what is actually taking place. How do we actually function together as one body and realize that there is life actually taking place here. When we gather together, there's an awakening of wonder of what the body united could actually do. I think that we should actually realize that there, that there is something. In, in uh, Genesis 11, when they're all speaking in the same tongue, they're making uh, the, uh, the Tower of Babylon, um, and they, God comes down, and he's like, they all speak in the same tongue. They all do this, all, the, all these things. Um, they are fully unified. Nothing can stop them. They are fully unified. Nothing can stop them. The church, fully unified with the power of Christ, the spirit of God, nothing can stop us. Like, do we realize the power of God in just this little place? That's what we need to see. Like, we need to realize this isn't just coming like, I, what do I do on Sunday mornings? I go to Christian outreach. 
Why do I do it? Well, that's what I've been doing for the last however many years. Because I'm a Christian. Like, that's why I do it. Because this is so much bigger. This is the life and the body of Christ. That the manifold wisdom of God is actually revealed to the rulers and authorities, to the spiritual realm, his wisdom and his manifold wisdom is actually revealed through the church. His manifold wisdom, that's how it's revealed to the spiritual realm, is how his body works together. So when Paul says, don't neglect the gathering together of the believers, I think there's something far bigger than just like, well, you shouldn't be off by yourself on an island doing your own thing. Like, we need each other. Paul's like, there is this great, like, have you been tracking from the very beginning that there is this go have dominion, be, subdue the earth with my grace and my peace, be fruitful and multiply? You see all these pictures in the prophets of all of these, like, of what this future um, creation, that the, that the streams of living water actually flow out of the temple, and that's the same streams that flow out of us, that that's the life that we're actually bringing to dead places that are deserts? He's like, do you realize who you are? Do you realize, like, don't neglect the gathering together because the streams are richer and fuller when you guys are all pouring into one stream flowing out as opposed to just individually. Don't neglect gathering together because there's actually the wisdom, the manifold wisdom of God is actually revealed by you gathering together. There's something greater about a unity than there is about a separateness. And there's something about learning to work together in love, learning to work with God, by God, for God, in the power of God, learning to yield, submit, have obedience, and walk humbly with your Lord. That I think that we need to learn if we want to actually see the spiritual gifts played out regularly out of our lives consistently. And I'm not just talking like, sweet, I had, like, I pray for somebody, they were healed, or I speak in tongues, or whatever. But like, there is something of a consistency that we want to see that I want to see, that I believe all of us want to see. And there's something of love binding us together and learning obedience so that we can actually learn how to execute the heart of God to the rest of creation. Does that make sense? All right. I'm going to pray, um, and then we're going to take communion. And I would think when we take communion, um, there's something also like um, interesting about, so, so, um, as we gather together, as the body of believers, as I was just talking about, there's something greater than just us coming here on a Sunday morning to just take um, and, and, and worship or whatever, but there's actually something that, that is so unique about the body of Christ together, individually taking a part of the body of Christ. Does that make sense? So we are, I'm individually going to take part of the body. I'm going to take part of the blood. And I'm going to partake, my body is going to partake of his body. But corporately together, we're actually doing the same thing. And there's this continuation, there's this bigger picture, there's something that I don't know what actually takes place. I'm not about to give you some great revelation. I'm just telling you um, that there, like, there's something more than just us coming together and, and, and taking of the body because this is what we do. And there's something more than just going, hey, like, God, thank you for uh, the forgiveness of my sins. Fantastic. Like, I don't want to ever diminish that. I'm just saying, like, just continue to increase, increase the, your wonder, increase your amazement, increase the, the reality that there's something more going on than what you've actually realized before as we come individually and corporately to partake of his body and his blood as his body. Let's realize something else is at place, taking place at the same time. All right? All right, pray with me. 
Father God, I just thank you for your grace and for your wisdom and just your love for us, that it is your life that actually binds us together, that it's your goodness that, that causes men to come to repentance and actually turn and walk in your way, um, and that it is your blessing, the blessing of Eden, um, that actually comes out and actually flows out of our lives, just like those rivers of, of living water that flows from the temple, um, just like you would touch and heal, that you would, you would, uh, that you would touch the unclean and they would become clean, that, that that is the life that you've called us into. And that we would learn to extend the borders of the garden here. That we would learn what it is to walk in obedience and submission. And to learn to yield to your will and not our will. Um, and that we would learn to love one another truly, care for one another. And come alongside and nurture so that we know what it is to actually go out and be fruitful. Multiply into all of creation. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.